The other day I had something happen in the gym that was like a cold slap in the face of reality. A guy about your size, Gene, came up and he slapped me on the back and he said, Double A, where you been? We hadn't seen you on TV. And just that slap sent a jolt through me and I dropped the water I was drinking and just for a second my system shut down and it became crystal clear as I watched the few little drops of water draining out of that bottle the symbolism that was involved. It was like someone had turned an hourglass over and the sand was running out on the career of Arn Anderson. My last act, formerly as a horseman, I got one last challenge. And that's to you, Kurt Henning. Now don't misunderstand me. It's not for a fight. You got something special. I've seen you in this ring. Your skills, your maturity, your commitment to excellence makes you something special. And what my challenge is to you, Kurt, is stand beside my best friend, Ric Flair, and lead these two men back to the glory and the prominence that the four horsemen once had. And I'm going to tell you what your prize is. It's not a spot with the horsemen. Because this is worth a lot more than that to me. I'm going to give you the only thing I got left. Not a spot. Not a spot. I'll give you my spot. Hello, my name is Bob Bamber and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. Going back in the time machine to August of 1997 uh, for Volume 2, Part 2 of this month's show. Three volumes for you this month. Volume number one takes the WWF looking at SummerSlam. Volume number three takes the ECW looking at their hardcore heaven pay-per-view. In volume number two, split across two parts, covering WCW. Volume one, uh, volume two, part one, sorry, is our look at the Road Wild pay-per-view along with the 100th Nitro and the show that we're now in is part number two, which will look at The Clash, along with a quite significant segment from the uh, last Nitro of the month. Obviously, no news. We covered all that in part number one. But I'm being joined once again by Dal Muir. Dal, good evening. Hi, Bob. And for this segment of the show, Rory McNamara. Rory, good evening. Evening all. Right, uh, let's let's start with some TVs, and then we'll come back and let's review The Clash. Hall and Nash got outclassed, out-wrestled, out-fought. And the only reason they're wearing those tag team belts is because they got themselves disqualified. Now, that brings me to the point. Nick Patrick, what were you thinking about? If you're listening to me, I'd like you to come out here and explain it. You see, Gene, I left the NWO voluntarily. But as you know, Nick Patrick was kicked out. Maybe he wasn't wanting to leave. Maybe he's trying to make a mess. Oh, wait a minute. You asked for this van, Nick Patrick. You heard the accusation, I guess, from Ted DiBiase. Uh, uh, your, your thoughts on what happened Saturday night? Well, I can understand their frustration, but uh, one thing in my defense I'd like to say, I let the match go as long as I could, and anybody who saw the match know that the Outsiders tried many times to get disqualified, and I let it go until they put their hands on me, and I did what any official in any sport would do, I disqualified him. I had no choice. But I agree that there is one official that should fall under some heavy criticism, and that's Randy Anderson. Whoa. I'd like to take this opportunity. Randy Anderson, what were you looking at? And what were you thinking about when the NWO come out, surrounded the ring, and somebody hit Lex Luger with a, with a baseball bat, and then he counted him out one, two, three? 
If you want to criticize somebody, I think that's where the criticism should lie. A little inconsistency there, I'd have to say, in the officiating, but Ted DiBiase... Well, I don't care about Randy Anderson or Lex Luger or anybody else. What I care about is the commitment I made to this two men to take them to the WPW World Tag Team titles, and that's what we're going to do. Holland Nash, we got you where you want, we want you. Running scared, so start looking over your shoulder and taking wide circles around those corners because you don't know where it's coming or when it's coming, but you can count on this. It's coming! We open TV on August the 11th with the giant arriving and to an entourage of cops who serve him with a writ. Buffer's also back. Let's get ready to grumble. The Nitro Girls open and we get the NWO Wolfpack out. They run down the Einsteiners and then bring out two jobbers to Rick and Scott's music and run through them. Hall and Nash ask for more, but the Steiners and DBRC come through the crowd and get them in the ring. Routh and Meng have a quick outing. Tong and Death Grip for the win before Mortis comes out with Barbarian and before go at it. Gene then talks to the Steiners and DBRC to talk about Sturgis. Patrick then explains the decision. We get a sadly short Eddie, Guerrero, Eddie and Jericho match with Guerrero winning. Alex Wright scares off the Nitro girls and talks to Gene in German. He said the crowd's just jealous. Malenko and Jarrett then face off officially on their pairing. Boston crowd but Eddie nails him for the DQ win. Mongo then gets an actual pop for Malenko kicks him out. Flair and Hennig join Gene. Nate's challenge is perfect to beat Macho in tonight's main event. Bischoff's out resplendently ridiculous on a bike with Flash Norton. He runs down Luger, builds up Hogan and they sing Hollywood Happy Birthday and tell Giant he has a restraining order out on him. Nice image of Buff, as Buff sprays a line on the aisle marking the 50 foot mark. Backstage, Jackie hangs over the Harlem Heat in a website plug that looks oddly pornographic. The Steiners then beat Benoit and Mongo. Lex talks about last week and sums it up outstandingly with Sturgis was a big disappointment. And people say he's a bad interview. Buff Bagwell falls to DDP's Diamond Cutter and Vandenberg's 0 for 2 as Ultimo Dragon beats Mortis. JJ's out to talk Sting and we see him stalking the rafters. Sting arrives from above and Dylan says he can face 6 know from Stinger the crowd go insane at the thought of Hogan 10 minutes before we go off the air we get the intros for our main event looks promising bell to bell we're under 5 minutes including a ringside walk and a hide behind Liz spot oh and a commercial disqualification finish as Savage elbows page to close Luger sees them off and we go off the air Raven actually starts this week's show with an angsty pre-tape interview. A pretty big deal and he nails it. Tony builds tonight's matches and the Nitro girls come out. Harlem Heat beat Norton and Bagwell via disqualification after a vicious Vincent interference while Barbarian knocks off Mortis. Reng and Math, jo- Re- Math Rap and Meng join in afterwards. Bischoff bigs up the clash of his champions this week then Gene lets Flair and Hennig extend their will they work their horseman angle. We get in the ring, the in-ring debut of Stevie Richards. He wins with the Stevie kick and we manage to miss it due to the cameras on Raven. And yes, he's wearing his Daisy Dukes. Jarrett continues to get interview shots. This time Eddie's aboard the sinking ship. A white trousered Alex Wright just about salvages the segment. The NWO get a paid-for vignette with them celebrating their birthday. All eyes on halls per usual. Then Warren Mongo then beat Jarrett and Eddie to end our number one. Hour 2 opens up with Dylan and Sting recap and the outsiders arrive to say, well, not very much. At least Scott Hall's on TV, I suppose. Six is now seems to be calling himself Six Pack these days and he's out to face Flair again. 
they get a decent time. Flair looks more on point, but again we get the cluster finish with an NWO running, and Hennig sees them off. Leparka falls to the Dragon Sleeper, and Giant takes on Hennig. Perfect's back to bumping, but Bischoff arrives trying to get Giant arrested for the frustration of Doug Dillinger. Larry gets easy to run through the crowd. Next, Double J comes out and agrees to talk to Sting. He gives Sting the ball in the negotiations and says he has until the clash to talk. Sting arrives, the crowd explode and demand Hogan in unison to Sting's silence. He grabs a sign that says Hulk vs Sting and holds it up for Dylan. The NWO play pin the tail on the Dylan with spray foam and paper vignette. We get a real life bona fide 20 minute main event of Outsiders against Paige and Luger. Obviously there was no clean finish but you know, progress. WCWR on its back before the locker room arrive and the next stop is the Clash of the Champions. Gene, for the last two weeks, I came out here with a contract in hand in hopes of being able to confront Sting to make him a bona fide offer to get him back in the ring with WCW. And on both occasions, to my embarrassment, I came out here, I was able to confront him, but there was absolutely no dialogue between us, and what I saw was him rip up the contracts and hand it back to me. It's kind of an insult. Now, there's already been too much distrust between WCW management and Sting. And I think I should point out to our viewers, and, and maybe to Sting himself, I have been one of his strongest supporters up to this point. Because I publicly a couple weeks ago said that, in my opinion, Sting's recent actions showed that he was solidly behind WCW. But Gene, after what happened these last two weeks, in all honesty, I'm starting to second-guess myself. Now, I'll be honest with you, Gene. I don't have a new contract offer with me tonight. And to be honest with you, my patience, our patience, is really starting to wear thin. And I think it's time that Sting bridge that communication gap and take the initiative that exists between us. And I think it's time for him to step up to the plate and start to tell us what it is he wants. And if he can't do that, if he can't do that, then we may get ourselves boxed into a situation where we may have to go our separate ways, and if that's the way it plays out, then so be it. You've actually handed out uh, a bit of an ultimatum here to Sting. Well, I don't want to call it an ultimatum because I always think positive, and if there's a way to work this out, I want to know that I gave it every chance. So I've bought Sting some time. Sting, if you can hear me, you have between right now and this Thursday, August 21st, the night of the Clash of the Champions on TBS from Nashville, to come forward and to talk to me and tell me what it is you want. Well, I see it as an ultimatum. 72 hours from now at the Clash of Champions, either you get an answer or it's all over. Gene, I, I, I'm not a mind reader. I don't have a crystal ball. Sting, you got to talk. From the reaction of this crowd back there, guys, I get the impression... And on to the Clash of the Champions, possibly the last ever one. Dale, you can kick us off with the results. Yeah, Clash of the Champions 35, Bob. But as Steve McMichael up first, facing Jeff Jarrett for the United States Championship. As we said in the news, Mongol won that, so McMichael is now your new US champion. Raven defeated Stevie Richards in what would become a no-disqualification match. Alex Wright defeated Ultimate Dragon, and that was for the TV title. Alex Wright, now the new champion. 
Chris Jericho defended his cruiserweight title that was against Eddie Guerrero and in the AAA eight-man match it was Sukosis, Silver King and Viano four and five they defeated Juve Guerrero, Super Calo, Hector Garza and Leesmark Jr. Semi-main, it was Ric Flair and Kurt Hennig defeating Conan in six. And in the main event for the WCW World Tag Team titles, it was Scott Hall and a late sub of Randy Savage defending under the free bird rule. They beat Diamond Dallas Page and Lex Luger. Roy, what do you think of this show? In its own right, a lot actually happened here. We had two title changes, including one in a very good match. We had pretty solid action up and down the card. We had a star-studded tag team main event, and we had a major plot point at the end. All well and good, but the problem is, we get that sort of thing every week on Nitro now, so this felt pretty pointless in a way. Yeah, uh, pretty much I agree with Mike Namara already. It's, um, it's a tricky sell these days, Clash of the Champions, with monthly pay-per-views, and we're seeing kind of regular one, two, even three-hour live wrestling TV, as Rory says, so it's quite hard to kind of kind of pin the market on this one but I mean I think they've still got a place whether this is the last one that we're going to see time will tell but um, overall I think we've pretty much got what we were expecting we weren't really expecting much of note we didn't really get that apart from kind of late late in the broadcast but for a two hour wrestling show it was decent enough I wouldn't say there was anything spectacular but it filled a hole in the schedule Rory, fill in some WCW history for me. I was under the impression that the clash of the champions would mean that all championships were defended. Um, that was the case, off the top of my head, that was the case in Clash 1, I think. You even had our off and the US tag team titles were defended in that one. I always thought that was kind of the implication, yes. I'm not sure it always happened, but uh, well, I definitely didn't hear <laughs> No, I mean, just this an point to begin with, but just thinking out loud, you know, like, it's, you know... It clues in the name somewhat, isn't it? To a point, yeah, Clash of the Champions, you know, missing the... the, the well, tag titles were defended, but but not by one guy. But, yeah, I'm mainly looking at Hulk Hogan. I mean, I'm always looking at Hulk Hogan, really, to a point. You know, that, that kind of leathery, mahogany, whatever he calls his skin these days, you know... <laughs> The, the, you know, the uh, I don't quite get the permanent sunburnt look, but, you know, there we go. Um, and, yeah, like, you know, I, I think you, you kind of both touched on it, like, well, it's just a two-hour live TV show on a Thursday. Like, you know, we, we we get that on a Monday. It's like, you know, Clash of Champions was born when, you know, live TV wrestling was rare, when being able to watch wrestling live on, on television for nothing was very rare. Um commonplace and as we've kind of seen it to a point with the pay-per-views um with with the important night of the week now not being one sunday a month being four four fun days four mondays a month um you know pvvs have struggled a bit as well in terms of trying to find prominence and significance let alone just another live show and what was interesting was that apparently they didn't have an easy time selling tickets for this show um nitro's been doing consistently well ticket sales for about a year or so um house shows have been doing very well for probably over a year now actually house shows started doing really well when uh when they had that rick flair randy savage feud early part of last year um and it's interesting to find this wasn't the easiest sell. And you look at the card, and that didn't help. But, you know, people aren't buying Nitro tickets for the card. They don't really announce anyone. They just announce names. Um, likewise, to a point with the pay-per-views. It's just a show that struggled with identity. I don't actually think it was a bad show. But, it, you know, 
it's, you know, it doesn't stand out anymore. And one of the reasons that we can probably be pretty confident in saying it is the last one, assuming this, this Thursday show goes ahead, is that there's, you know, you're then looking at, uh, you know, if you're doing two classes a year, you're then looking at those two weeks having a live wrestling show on a Monday, a live wrestling show on a Wednesday, and a live wrestling show on a Thursday. And that just, you know, there's a good case to say that two shows are going to be overkill, three will be a disaster. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I think that coupled with the fact that I, I think when we look at the, the titles that changed hands, WCW has struggled a lot with their identity issue with those titles. You know, I, I was, I, I watched people come out and I'm like, I know he's the champion, but I can't tell you which championship he holds. I don't think that's a great sign either. But, you know, I watched WCW quite intently. I don't think I can easily sit there and explain which champion's which or why there's three of them. Why do we need a champion of the television and the United States and a division that most guys are in, as well as a heavyweight champion? Like I, I don't know. Anyway, that was a, a longer than open, longer than planned opening, but there we are. Um, let's go straight into it, shall we? Open up with Jeff Jarrett with Queen Deborah versus Steve Mongo McMichael for the WCW United States title. Dusty says the title is like a Super Bowl ring to McMichael. I think he might be overdoing it a little. Jarrett hits a body slam, then struts. The crowd in Tennessee are pretty vocal and very pro-horseman. Mongo mows down Jarrett with a clothesline. We're back from commercial and Jarrett slams Mongo's head into the ring steps twice. Mongo sold those really well. Mongo gets straight in the ropes. Deborah pulls his hair and Jarrett drops a leg across his back. Jarrett goes for a sleeper. Mongo rallies at the third count. He fights out and locks in a sleeper himself. Deborah gets on the apron, distracts the ref. Eddie Guerrero comes out, jumps off of the turnbuckle and nails Jarrett, not Mongo, as planned with the title. Mongo dumps Guerrero out of the ring, kicks the belt to the floor, tells the ref to do his job, pins Jarrett and wins the title. A big pop for that finish. Deborah tries to reconcile with the new champ. He's not having any of it. Del? You want to start off strong, so I throw it Jeff Jarrett and then get him to face Steve McMichael. Um, it, it, it'll be what? It was actually better than I was expecting. Now, that's not saying much because you don't really expect much with either of these, but it was pretty decent. Um, McMichael has, for all his faults, he has improved. In the last probably six to nine months, I've really noticed that. I mean, he's been going there for what, a year or two in ring, but um, he is really improving. Jarrett, you, you kind of know what you're getting coming in, but the the type of match that they had that made sense, they, they threw in just enough bells and whistles with like, the run ins and then the the title change and the kind of stalling, and the, they, they did enough to get away with it. I think something that we'll probably come on to talk about throughout the full night is the crowd did really help it. Um, the crowd probably dragged an extra half a point on each of these matches, which definitely helped the overall feel of the show. But for a start with Jeff Jarrett, you're expecting it. For a start with Mongo McMichael, you're expecting it. With the two of them in this ring at the same time, I think we actually got away quite lightly. Roy? Uh, if ever a match was an example of doing all you have to do and no more, it was this. It's about eight minutes long. McMichael hit one offensive move in the entire match, and that was the sleeper <laughs> reversal. Yet two minutes later, he's the US champion, and the crowd go nuts for him. So <laughs> he must be doing something right. Yeah, there really wasn't much to this match. Jarrett controlled it, just doing his basic Jarrett stuff. I wasn't absolutely expecting a title change here for whatever reason, so it was a nice surprise. Uh, getting Eddie involved is interesting. Might tie into uh, when we see him a bit later on. So I can't really talk about any of your play-by-plays, Bob, because there was so little to the match. Basic Jarrett offence, interference, 
and the guy who a lot of people now are well behind wins a fairly important title. So that's really all I've got to say. The crowd are into it, so fair dues. Yeah, um, Mongo's competent now. I mean, he's no better, but he's, you know, with the odd exception, and there are exceptions, I think you can send Mongo out there now, providing he's not with a guy that's less experienced than him. You can generally rely on him not to stink up the joint. Um, and I don't know that you said that a year ago. Um, and yeah, like I'm kind of flat on this whole program. And Jarrett's really nothing of note. Like you know, we, I said my piece on Jeff Jarrett. You know, he's just he's just there. He, he can go back to Torquay. You know that kind of thing. Um, but it, you know, it, yeah, I, I'm actually quite surprised I got so many notes out of this. But the match was fine. I, I think it was helped by the fact the crowd were into it. Uh, this would have died a death in front of the crowd. Didn't care about either guy. Um, and yeah, like you know, there's been. We talked in part one about, you know, overdoing title changes and, you know, Hall and Nash conveniently kind of called that favour in when it looked like their title was going to go. And now we get to this point where, you know, we're we're trading titles again. And now, you know, you know now there's there's questions over who's going to be booking next, whether it be Terry Taylor, Terry Taylor, whether it be someone else, I don't know. Um, but, yeah, this was fine. Like, it wasn't, you know, I think the other thing, Dale, is that this was the opener. Well, we'd have, I think we'd have complained had we had Wright and Dragon in the opener or some more mm. Jericho's match in the opener and then had this further down the card. So, yeah, to a point, be careful what you wish for. Um, and to an extent, like, I, uh, as much as Bongo's got his flaws, he is one of the more recognisable names on this card. Um, and he and, to an extent, Jarrett are two of the more storylined guys on this card as well. So I don't think Harry and the other deal was necessarily that bad an idea. Pretty much. I mean, they're getting weekly TV time. You throw in Deborah, she's got something to look at. You're getting the two of these where they try and kind of... The full story with Jarrett and the Horseman, and then Jarrett with kind of McMichael, McMichael with Deborah, and then Deborah swaps. And, I mean, they've got they've got rumble and stories going on here. Um, I'm just really, really hoping that somebody in WCW has forgot that full US champions, the number one contender story, because that could be quite worrying if they remember that. Mm, yeah, I'm not, I'm not massively keen on Mongo and Hogan. I did praise them <laughs> to a point, but, uh, yeah, that, that praise doesn't go that far. Anyway, Broadway, I... brother, Broadway. Yes. Alex Wright, Alex Wright. Okay, you got the mic. Can you lose a shut up? We are, we are in America. Please speak English. I don't want to have to remind you again. Okay, whatever. As allererstes werde ich diesen Gürtel heute Abend für all meine deutschen Fans gewinnen. Hey, hey, hey. English, my friend. I, I'll cut the interview. I got something for you, Jim. You know why they call him Dragon? Because... I, I gonna carry and drag his butt from one corner of Nashville to the other. Wait, wait a minute. You get it? I, I, you're gonna drag the dragon from one end of Nashville to the other. Yes. That's why Henny Youngman is still working today, young man. Because I'm the true champion, and everybody out here knows it. You know what I got in common out here? All those people was the ultimate loser. All you people are losers. Something like that. Alex Wright comes out. The fans are making no noise, so Wright tells them to shut up. <laughs> this is great. Wright's a fantastic heel. Like, just, like, there's, there's almost no... He comes out, he dances. Like, the thing they dance with the nitro... And then he, you know, he's like, Oakland tells him to stop talking German, even though he hasn't said anything yet. So he's... Uh, Wright's brilliant. Like, you know, it's uh, it's kind of a shame that they... Uh, that they 
but for Australia, even the Hegel's fantastic because nothing's changed. Still, Alex, right? We're just booing now. It's great. Anyway, we come back from commercial. We join me and Gene Oakland in the kitchen with the host of dinner and the movie. That was a plug, although that will become somewhat important later in the show. And we want next to Stevie Richards versus Raven. Raven cuts the pro. I managed to fuck up the word wrestle, but says he wants a no disqualification match. The fans pop for that. Raven throws Richards to the floor, then hits the crossbody to the outside. Richards attempts to get back in the ring. Raven bumps into the floor, then hits a pair of running elbows. All Raven so far. In comes the chair. Raven unfolds the chair and does a drop toe hold onto it. Raven follows that with a running bulldog. Richards rallies, showing a few ill effects of the beating so far. He goes for a super kick. Raven catches it. Richards ducks a clothesline and almost takes it with a schoolboy. Raven hits a DDT, and that will do that. Last month, you guys were talking about uh, Raven and Richards in WCW, and you said you weren't particularly keen on seeing them retelling the entire ECW story, which it looked like they might be beginning, and I very much agreed with you. However, I'd still like them to tell some story between the two, because here it looks like they've burned through those two years, or one and a half years, and Richards has been squashed in six minutes, which does not bode well for my boy at all. The match itself was fairly good. Raven... This was a Raven match, i.e. a no disqualification when he looked okay in it. Stevie's two blasts of offence, he looked great, though obviously far too brief. But uh, it doesn't look good for... Uh, what they've got in store for Raven, I have no idea. He's obviously their big acquisition. It's almost like Stevie came along, the old three in a packet of cornflakes type of thing, and they've given him 80000 a year. Are they just going to have him jobbing? I don't know. I hope not. Long-time listeners to the show will know. I think he's supremely talented. He could do... I was going to say do any kind of job, that's an unfortunate phrasing, but there you go. But, uh, I fear he's just going to be dumped on Saturday night in pro. As for Raven, if he makes most or all of his matches no disqualification, he's going to get a lot of the crowd who might not know who he is into his matches, which is so both well for him going forward. But yeah, fine action here, action which on this podcast we are very used to. WCW fans will need some tuning to it, but uh, so it's not looking good for my boy. Roy, was it a Raven match in the sense it wasn't very good? When Raven, when Raven, excuse me, get me my teeth in. When Raven was on offense, yes, he used that chair eight which ways from Sunday because that's what Raven does. I've, I've never, I've always seen a fair bit of ECW, still not quite as much as you guys, but I've never seen Raven have a match without bells and whistles in the 82nd Airborne, which is anything more than competent. And I can even go back to his Scotty Flamingo days there. I don't think he was particularly good light heavyweight even there. So, but he does what he does. What he does, he does well. Keep him in his environment and he'll flourish. Take him out of it, he will struggle. Hi, I mean, I, I kind of agree with Rory. It's, you, you know what you're getting with a Raven match and he does kind of need these shortcuts. But um, I think it's not entirely dissimilar to the Glacier situation where you want him to focus on the Mortal Kombat side of the character. I think with Raven, they need to focus on his stories like outside the ring. So like these videos that they've been putting out on Nitro, he's actually looked really, really good. Um, he opened up a Nitro later in the month. And um, it seems as if they've got investment in him. I think it's just it loses a bit of mystique when it gets in the ring. So I say it's like the Glacier situation. It's a bit like the Gold Dust situation where 
they've got this character outside of the ring, but then when the character ultimately just leads into a wrestling ring, it kind of loses that mystique. But um, the match itself, we knew what we were getting with an ODQ stipulation. For what it's worth, it did make sense, which you don't often get with WCW. Um, it was a nice set-up into it. And uh, it's probably a downside on the match that the highlight was probably Tony Schiavone telling us that um, Raven has got one foot shorter than the other, and that's why he needs a built-up boot, which I think you meant leg, Tony. But um, other than that, it's pretty, it's pretty decent. Well, it could be one foot short than the other. That'd be a really short foot, but you know, I suppose yeah, depth. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like the the Raven thing's all a bit weird. I mean, I, I was I was never Raven's biggest fan in ECW. I know there's a lot of people that rated him a lot higher than I did. Um, but the the Raven thing works in ECW because of the the story depth they have with him, um, and to an extent how they brought him in. And I kind of just feel like WCW have bought in Raven and thought well not enough people know who he is so we're going to have to take the character back a few chapters but they're also kind of thinking well it's only going to get over with guys who already know who he is and then it's like well what's the point like you know because Raven without his backstory isn't anything and they haven't really presented his backstory very well he's just come in and been cryptic Raven you know which just kind of glosses over everyone's head um I don't quite know where they're going with it. Um, you know, it's a decent act. I don't think it's any better than that. Quite how it'll survive in a in a jungle like WCW, I don't know. Because um, if they, they start having him win matches, they'll have to come up against some names at some point. Um, you know, everyone seems to get drawn into the NWO. And I don't know how good, say, Raven versus Mark Bagwell's going to be or something like that. Um, but yeah, like, you know, we've got Richards as well, who's like, you know, let's bring in Richards as the, the goofy sidekick of the character that doesn't matter in our environment. And then let's just, you know, I don't know. Like, you know, I'm not sure the ECW storyline was the most coherent. I'm not sure either of these guys were all that good in the first six months in ECW. So when they've been around a while and it was just Richards, a raven against Dreamer that it kind of worked. And then Richards only really got going when he kind of got out from underneath him. Um, but yeah, and also interesting to see that Richards, miraculously, the injury that was going to keep him out of ECW for six months, apparently doesn't apply in WCW, so uh, <laughs> there there we are. Match was fine. Um, it's a, it's a Raven-style match. I, I don't I don't know that this style is going to... You know, I think we've seen it with the Public Enemy to a point. I don't know how, the, how well this style is going to consistently translate over to a... You know, a, an arena this size, a venue this size, a setting of this nature. I don't know that you can just copy and paste that ECW style, you know, intimate pace and intimate style into a big arena setting with big lights and with crowds, you know, that kind of thing. Um, you know, I, I don't know whether Raven doesn't do the style and people are just going to go, well, you know, just shortcuts. Yeah, who knows? We got a really nice video package. Look at the Ultimo Dragon, as they kept calling him. Look at his pre-WCW pass. Very nice, that. Next up, it's Alex Wright versus the Ultimo Dragon for the WCW television title. Wright makes the best of the early going. Looks pleased with himself. He rolls out of a wrist lock, kicks Dragon away, and then we get a double kip up. Wright gets run over by Dragon twice, then gets cut off in the middle of a crossover. Dragon hits a series of kicks, which gets the crowd into it. Wright manages to hit a powerbomb from nowhere, but opts to go to going for the pin. A couple of backbreakers from Wright, he decides to start trying to pin Dragon. Back from the break, Wright has a chin lock in. Dragon eventually fights out, 
runs the ropes and gets a sleeper in of his own. We get a suplex as Wright escapes and both men go down. Wright goes to the top, Dragon gets up and hits the springboard drop kick, sending Wright to the floor. Dragon goes for a slingshot crossbody to the floor, Wright moves and Dragon hits the deck. Dragon recovers, returns to the apron and hits an acai moonsault. Wright attempts a superflex from the top, Dragon kind of blocks it by throwing them both to the mat. Dragon nearly gets it with a magistral cradle. Wright nearly gets it with a pin using the ropes. Wright is the German suplex and wins the television title. This is one of these kind of matches yeah. where you almost hope coming in that it's going to be Dragon that's bringing Alex Wright up where he's going to kind of get him to speed up. He's going to get him to work a bit faster, work a bit smoother. I think it was more a case that Wright brought Dragon down. Um, the match for me only really picked up a wee bit near the end when Dragon started getting his kind of dragging shit in um, that's when it kind of started getting a bit better um, but I actually they ever believed he was going to be a good guy with the way that he looks the way that he acts the way that he dances the way that he talks I don't quite understand but he, he's just really settled into this bad guy Roe well, he actually looks quite experienced at it you'd think he'd been doing it for kind of four or five years longer than what he has um, but I, I mean it, it did get better it was really slow at the start but Again, just the crowd really, really helping things move on here. They were brilliant all night. And um, I definitely think this would have been a lot worse. It's similar to the first match if it wasn't for the crowd behind it. But um, if Alex Wright's going to be getting a title, if he's going to be getting a push with this bad guy stuff, they're throwing him out with the Nitro girls. The more the more Alex Wright that we see, I think, the better. And if it goes back to what we didn't really talk about earlier on, if it's going to turn into Alex Wright almost attempting an improvised stand-up, then I am very much the way that he killed, absolutely fucking slaughtered the dragon joke, where it's clearly meant to be, he's called the Ultimo Dragon, because I'm going to be dragging his ass around this arena, and then it was, I'm going to be, they call him Dragon, because I'll, I'll carry his dragon ass, and Gene's almost got to give him the fucking punchline to get him through the joke, if it comes into more of that, then I'm all aboard for it. Rory. I'm not saying anything about Germans and sense of humour. I'm going to move quickly on. Uh, this was match of the night. I think you've undersold this one a bit, Dale. I thought this was really good. Perhaps, in all fairness, Dragon, or Dragon, as we, mal- as we now must call him, probably wasn't going at 100% cylinders in this one. I would say Alex was. But Alex right at 100 against Dragon at 80%. Meld those together, you're still going to get something quite special. And Wright came across to me here as somebody who had something to prove, which I think he did. Now, he's getting a decent heel run now. He's been in the company for nearly three years. And he's one of those people who, whenever I say his name, even when it's talking about something positive, like his match with Pillman two years ago, I always find it hard to do so without a smirk appearing on my face because he's, he's a bit ridiculous, really. And now at least he's got a bit of at least to be a bit more ridiculous with this bad guy run. But yeah, some good stuff in this match. Um, they kept up a really good pace. Wright managed to balance playing a heel role with good quality-looking offence, which wasn't too flashy as it would end up getting the crowd um, cheering him. I thought the finish was really good with a German suplex, as you'd imagine. But sometimes a German suplex in the hands of many can just look like a basic pinning combination. This looked like it really hurt Alex, really cinched back. You can see his knees bending as he brought Dragon down. So I bought it as a finish after 10 minutes. So yeah, really good here. Dragon played his part. Right, really stepped up to the plate. And uh, let's see what he does with this belt. I'm a big fan that Wright's finisher is a German suplex simply because he's German. 
Like there's there's no there's no attempt at logic there. It's just like, well, you know, it kind of writes itself, right? There's no yeah, real, yeah, yeah. like, you know, um, writes really good. Like, you know, they kind of mentioned on culture. You've been doing this for a while now. Like, writes been involved in WCW. I think for as long as we've been doing this project, he's only about twenty two, twenty three. Young guy. Um, he's been wrestling enough now to the point where he's good. Um. And he's in there with one of the best wrestlers in the country. He's in there perhaps with the best wrestler in the country, um, certainly on the base of the last 12 months. Um, this was the best match of the night. Uh, Dragon is a... It, it's fun watching a guy like Dragon kind of adapt his style to the kind of US style a little bit more. And also he's still doing all the stuff. But we've seen in a few different places now, he's really learning to kind of work a version of what the Ultimate Dragon can do, but in a way that will get over in front of a US crowd. Um, and Wright's more than capable of hanging in with, with him now, which is a big compliment for a guy like Wright, who a lot of people thought was kind of blown out of proportion. Um, but yeah, I mean, completely, like Wright as a heel is an absolute riot. Um, it's not particularly clever, it's not particularly nuanced, but that's kind of the joke. Um, you know, it's like it's like someone's told me he's funny and nobody's letting on the joke the fact he's not. Um, it's great. See, like someone's that. told him he's a good dancer, but he's not. Anyway. Yeah, there is that. There is that as well. Um, but yeah, like this was a, this was a very good television match. Um, Del Wright as TV champion. I, mean, I guess you know if we praise him for his his comic chops and his his ability to be funny, even though he's not. Um, I think him with a TV title could could be a lot of fun. No, I mean, it's what you always go back to. It's like, what's the champion of the US? What's the best wrestler in the United States? And he's got a belt to prove it. When you're a TV champion, it's quite hard to sell that. But if you tune in the TV every week, probably one of the things that you're going to remember most is Alex Wright, whether it's coming out and dancing with the girls or if it's coming out and just killing jokes. It's, it's something that you're going to remember. So, I mean, if we are going to still have this TV title, then it makes sense to have it on somebody like this. But if you turn on the telly, it's going to be him that you remember, so it certainly has for me, anyway. I want a uh, an Alex Wright means you know Oakland buddy cop movie. <laughs> um, you know, we, we talk about the rubbish that Hulk Hogan puts out. Like, I'd, uh, I'd go out of my way to see that. Anyway, on that thought, let's move on. It's Eddie Guerrero versus Chris Jericho for the WCW Cruiserweight title. Guerrero wins the first exchange, he's giving it large. He gets sent to the mat and then moans to Mark Curtis that he was having his hair pulled. Jericho hits an atomic drop. Guerrero lands on his knees, then shimmies over and hugs Curtis's leg in the corner. That was really good. Guerrero hits a Frankenstein off the top when Jericho hits back with a powerbomb. Jericho hits a giant swing. Guerrero spills to the floor. Jericho goes for and hits a diagonal crossbody to the outside, but seems to catch his foot awkwardly. No damage done, thankfully. Jericho hits an apron suplex to the floor, both landing largely on their feet. A superplex from the, from the top by Jericho gets a two. Guerrero slips out of a powerbomb and gets hit with a release German suplex. We get a series of rolling pin attempts. They roll it over. Jericho picks up the win as Guerrero can't kick out in an awkward sitting position. After the match, Guerrero attacks him and hits a frog splash. Rory? I think it's testament to the quality of these guys that this match wasn't really about the in-ring action. It was more about getting Eddie's character over as a, as a heel. Yet the in-ring action we got was still pretty good. I don't think these two could dog it even if they tried. Uh, Eddie Guerrero could wrestle anybody and get a good match out of him. When he's in there with a good worker with Jericho, that crossbody 
flip over, landing on his head thing aside, then the results are always going to be good. I loved Eddie in this match. He just exudes charisma, whatever side of the ledger he's on. Uh, acting out being, having his hair pulled and walking on his knees to, you know, to hog the ref. Just little things like that. He just, he just shows so much natural ability. We know this guy can wrestle, but he can really sports entertain as well. So he is a potential complete package if used correctly. Uh, is it in his contract? This is a bit of an out there question. But is, is it in his contract that he's the only person who can actually lose matches off pinning combinations? I remember him losing to Atani in that great match at Starcade 95. I mean, when they did the, what, what would assume was going to be a near fall sequence, I was waiting for the kick out and at Jericho actually pinned him down tightly and got the win. So I thought that was a nice, interesting change. Atia, good stuff here. They're capable of better if given longer. To, uh, you can't really complain with these two in the ring. No. I think there was one of the Malenko matches that ended up with a pin combination. I know I Likely. Lost that one. I think it was one each. They lost that. Um, I don't know if you were watching me the last match when this was the match of the night, but maybe I'm just overly biased for these two. I think they're brilliant. Um, it's really good seeing Eddie back to just being that arsehole Eddie Guerrero. Again, it's kind of been fine-tuned in the last few months with him turning on Dean and, and the stuff with... The stuff with Chavo and things like that, they've kind of been building up to this, but this was him really starting to just catch fire again as being the guy that nobody likes. I mean, how many folk walk into a, walk into a wrestling ring in Mexico with like stars and stripes and blazoned on their trunks and Eddie done it and Eddie was hated and now he seems to be bringing it back up north again. Um, it's kind of like seeing him back like a couple of years ago with Art Bar go address them when we done the, the World's Collide show when you seen the two of them together and just how everybody hated him and he's still got it whether it's the little things as you say like cuddling into the the leggy Mark Curtis or if it's pulling my hair or just mouthing off the fans I've never actually noticed before how rapid he is as well I don't know whether it's just because Jericho's not really the fastest when you put him in there with some of the the guys he gets lumbered with, you notice that he's quite fast, but when you stick him in with Eddie, it's like, shit, Eddie, it's fast, man. And some of the switches that they were doing was really good. The the chemistry, I don't know how many matches they've had together before, I can't remember seeing one, but um, they did really good. There was the, the springboard Hurricane and the middle that went into a nice powerbomb reversal. The swing for Jericho, I've never seen that. If it used to be in World of Sport, you would get folk doing that. Um, you get Mark Curtis in the ring with his usual overreactions. At the end, it wasn't quite Brett and Owen Hart with the pin switches, but they were still pretty nice. But um, as, a, as a TV match on a card like this, when there wasn't really a lot of in-ring stuff, I thought that's by far and away stole the show. I thought this was a really, really good little match. Dan, is Jericho boring? I think he's got a tendency to be... I don't know whether I would use the word boring, but there's a bit there's a bit of the white white meat about him where it's you kinda he's a good looking guy, he comes out and shouts, Come on and there's a tendency for him to look a little bit boring. I think his in ring style helps him not be as boring as perhaps he would be with a lesser skill set. But um dare I say there's not a lot of people that could go toe to toe with with Senior Guerrero. And um, come out not looking boring, but I think Jericho punches above his weight a lot of the time. I think it's just Eddie's, Eddie's charisma would probably make a lot of people look boring, I'd say. Can I just say quickly on this? Cool. I, I think, yeah, Jericho's been in the company a year now, and his gimmick is 
wannabe rock star who can wrestle a bit. There's only so far you can actually go with that. He's been a champion. He's still the cruiserweight champion now. I don't really, if we hadn't been watching, say, his ECW stuff last year, I wouldn't know a damn thing about him. And I think that's the problem. Eddie's getting some real character moments here. He did a couple of months ago as well, this stuff with Charvo. Jericho has had none of that. And I think that could be part of the problem, Bob. He reminds me of Alex Wright from about two years ago, speaking of uh, with Jericho. Um, like, you know, technically very sound. I suspect Jericho now is a better wrestler than Wright was then. But struggling for a character, struggling for identity, struggling for memorable. Um, you know, Dale, the reason I thought the last match was better, I remembered it. Like, you sure. know, I remembered Wright, Dragon's really good. Um, you know, Guerrero got a fine match out of Jericho, but it wasn't exceptional. It wasn't a great match. Um, you know, and it's like, what is Chris Jericho in WCW? He's just a guy. Never really talks, never really does anything. He's not really that memorable full stop. Like, you know, he's uh, he's like skim milk. Like, you know, he kind of exists for a purpose, but like, nobody wants him. <laughs> You know, nobody no, nobody comes to a wrestling show and goes, I want to see Chris Jericho. Like, that never happened. I think a big part of it, when you, yeah, look at him, when you look at him compared to Eddie as well in this kind of vacuum, bear in mind a lot of the stuff that we're talking about, Eddie and his character, Trevor, as Rory said, and you get him out a lot of times and he's talking to me and Gene. You get him a lot of times, he's got better facials, I would say, than Jericho. Jericho's a guy that... You can tell he's well-travelled just because of the styles that he can work. You can throw him in with a Guerrero. You can throw him in with a Benoit a Malenko. You can throw him in with a Mysterio. You can throw him in with an Ultimate Dragon. And he can pretty much keep swimming no matter what kind of style you put him in there with. The problem that you've got when you get that is it's almost a, it's almost a level of kind of neutering him where he can work any style and it kind of goes into the Jackie Old Trades can I ballpark, which is quite worrying when you've got a pretty underdeveloped character, you kind of just expect as much as you expect a, an underpar match with a Jeff Jarrett, you just expect an average to decent standard with Jericho. Um, I think he just needs a wee bit of a tweak. We're kind of getting a chance to see more of who he is. I mean, I know we've not really covered it on the on the show because God love it it never lasted that long but if you look back to some of the stuff that he was doing in Smoky Mountain for that kind of year 18 month with the that was the young boy with the mullet kind of mind he looks happy watching the waltzers Lance Storm um, some of the stuff that he'd done with him you can see there is charisma there he does look like a genuinely quite a funny young guy but if you don't expose that to people then they're not going to appreciate that so I think they could just as much as we've got a lot of people here, whether it's Glacier or whether it's going back to the back to earlier on, what we were saying about Raven, the character side of the business, when you're seeing pretty much the same matches week in, week out, it's the character side that's going to make people memorable. I think they just need to do a bit more of that and give them a chance. Roy, any more? Just that he played this exact same character at Four Brawl last year. And that he virtually got booed out of the building. You think that would have set a few warning signs off? But nope. Just give him a bit of promo time. It doesn't. He doesn't need to be give us. I don't know his own version of a Dusty Rhodes Hard Times promo or anything. Just give people a reason to care. And I think it says all that when he was laid out by Eddie at the end of this match. I don't remember there being much heat 
and this is on somebody who's getting some serious traction as a heel. So um, if he just becomes the dreaded good hand, and uh, again, much like we said earlier, that's a waste of somebody who could be capable of doing more. I hope he is. Just, just at least give him a chance. Put him with Alex Ryan. That'll sort it. Easy. Right, moving on. That was just, that was just a trade of thought from me there. There we go. Uh, moving on next, it's Psychosis, Viano 4, Viano 5 and Silver King with Sonny Ono versus Super Colo, Hunter Guerrero, Liz Mark Jr. and Hector Garza. We start with Colo and Viano 4. Colo rolls up the top turnbuckle, rolls down into an arm drive and hits another coming off the second rope. Garza tags as does Silver King. Lots of fast shit going on, very little of it connecting. Garza hits a backbreaker, then sends him to the floor. We switch to Hoover 2 versus Psychosis. Psychosis hits a big psychic, and finally someone sells. Super Colo takes the dive onto Silver King and Viano 4 on the floor. Lismark follows, as does Hoover 2, as does Viano 4, as does everyone else. They all end up on the outside. This sets up for one. One big pile of people that Garza can do his big spinning corkscrew uh, kind of dive onto the outside. Ono blocks Franken, uh, Ono blocks Psychosis getting Frankenstein off of the top. Psychosis then drops a leg from the top and with that wins the match. Del? There's a lot of people in a lot of places in the world that granted usually have Spanish as a first language that swear by Lucha Libre. I quite like Lucha Libre but when you get it in a market like this, you kind of just see them almost try to squeeze in the shit that you would get in a two or a three or a four hour show in Mexico City into the five, six, seven minute match that they get, and it really it really doesn't translate for me. Um, this was pretty much the spot into a spot into a spot into a spot, and then there's a win. And that was that. Um, the bit in the middle where like, the suicide dies, it's kind of like these days when you see somebody getting a pile drive or they're a DDT and then they kick it at two and a half. It's like, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't really have the impact that it should when you see it as much. And that's if you see it maybe two or three times in a night, no five or six times in one match. Um, again, I think the crowd were very generous to it. Um, I thought the last match was really good. I think this was probably about as good a placement as you could get for a match like this because it's going to keep the people involved that want to see this kind of stuff they'll be invested but it also gives the kind of casuals or ones that's maybe just there for wrestling something to look at and you get kind of flashy tights going through the air and it's cool to look at but um, it just it, it just really wasn't for me this one um, Carlos Mask I think is quite cool that was one of the positives that I've got but um, aye, it, it just kind of happens for me I think there's a lot of talent in there I think they just need to maybe learn to maybe learn to dilute it a bit as much as I like Robinson's I don't drink it straight out of the bottle I kind of like to put a bit of water in it first so I think they could maybe learn something for that Roy Callow's mask was quite cool that's less scraping the barrel the more scraping the hole where the barrel used to be I think <laughs> um, right uh, this match uh when I saw the uh, Japanese women tag team match at World War 395, that made me want to check out some more of the uh, Joshi style. When I saw the uh, six-man Michinoku Pro tag team match at Barely Legal, wasn't perfect, but that made me want to check out some more Michinoku Pro, etc. I now get to see this version of Lucha Libre pretty much every week. I never want to see it again. I would now go as far to say I actively dislike whenever I get these matches on my television. They're light, they're contrived. They're actually now getting, to use that word again, Bob, really quite boring. 
I shouldn't just be sitting folding my arms when I'm seeing five admittedly very impressive athletes flying over the top rope onto each other. But I am. It's Yes, they can do it, but I don't care. It's like, yes, you can unicycle and juggle at the same time, but so what? Make me care about it. And some of the spots which are so obviously set up, there was one towards the beginning where Bob's, Bob's lad super callow. Uh, after about, him and Viano Ford had about 30 seconds of quick fire arm drag, so I can move around the ring very quickly. And then Viano Ford just stops and stands still for the pure reason Super Calo can hit that reverse hurricanrana. It's just a show. When they say as a wrestling come up to me and they say, oh, why'd you watch that rubbish? It's all choreographed, you know. This is not the match I would show them to try to make them change their mind. Um, no, I don't want to talk about this anymore. It's, it's a real waste of psychosis and hooventude in particular because we've seen them in better situations having real matches where I get the impression they want to hurt their opponents to win. But oh, this is just a procession. I don't like it at all anymore. Sorry. Yeah. Um, you know, I've I said my piece on this style before, and I kind of get the feeling these guys had a, a nice long 12-minute match planned out, and then about an hour, you know, half hour before the show, they said, we've worked out the time slots, and you've got five minutes. And then they all went, should we just do the same match? And they went, yeah, fuck it, go on. Um, and so they just kind of tried to jam a load of shit in, and it's like, you know, over and over again, we'll have a dive, then a dive, then a dive, then a dive, and then we'll have everyone on the outside. Oh, good, that, that puts Gaza in the right spot. Everyone goes down, then two guys have got to get back up because we'll get in the ring and do something else. And it's like, yeah, like this... And people, I don't know if people are reacting anymore. Like, you know, Dragon's got... Oh, my Dragon worked out. Hang on a minute, I need to take my style and adapt it. I don't think these guys have worked that out yet. Um, you know, and I don't, you know, it's, when, when you try and make everything memorable, nothing is memorable. That's the problem. And it's just, you know, it's just there. I didn't help they had four and a half, five minutes or whatever it was. I didn't particularly help things. Um, but I can't tell you a single thing about any of these characters. One, because there's so many, but also because they're so similar. Half of them are in mass, but most of them are in mass, which doesn't help. Um, I think that's always been a problem with mass wrestlers in WCW and slash North America, or sorry, and slash America, is that the mass doesn't prevent you from getting over because people can't see your face, um, which is kind of the opposite thing in Mexico and places like that. Um, and yeah, the action was fine, but it was impressive, but none of it was memorable. And it's like, I just wonder whether they've got to the point now where they've done this stuff so many times. Yeah, when you see the when you see the big pile of bodies and the corkscrew kind of crossbody for the eighth time, it's like it's not that impressive anymore. Now you need to top it, and that's always the problem. You can't keep topping these things because there's nowhere to go. Um, yeah, it was okay, technically fine, but yeah, like you know, they giving eight guys four minutes and expecting a match any different than this. I, I don't know what you're expecting, you WCW, but there we are. Okay, moving on to this. Well, Tony, it's great to have our friends from TBS, of course, from dinner and a movie tomorrow night, the jerk right after Braves baseball here on the Superstation. Chef Claude Mann. Oh, that looks fantastic. And host of uh, dinner and a movie, my very dear close first longtime friend, Paul Gilmartin. Uh, gentlemen, do I dare ask what we've got cooked up here tonight? Oh, we got a lot of stuff. Paul, why don't you tell them what we got made? Okay. What, what is it? We got what a is few it, Paul? Here, Gene. We have Macho Nachos. 
Ma- macho nachos? Macho nachos. We've got macho mayonnaise. We've ma- got... Ma- ma- macho... Na- We've got savage garden salad. W- wait a minute here. We've got macho gazpacho. And we have N.W. Okra. Guys, what... What what is going on here? Gene, Gene, we got a little something here for Diamond Dallas Page WCW Cream Puffs. Yes, for Diamond Dallas. What are we? Yeah. A, a gentleman here, in all due respect, your guests on this program, and we represent World Championship Wrestling. It's a great organization, and this is kind of a slap in the face. Well, Gene, I guess you've guessed there's a little theme here, and uh, that might be N. W O. You've got to be kidding me! One of these clowns come off. Coming out here and insulting us. Hey, we're looking for trouble. You guys can cut it. You know, I was gonna make a little stunt for you, Gene, but we couldn't find any fresh weasel. I'm out of here. That's it for you me. You're not going anywhere. This is a big time NWO birthday party. Hollywood style. This brother and that brother have already passed the test in their NWO through and through for life. Got it? Now here's the deal. We catered this birthday party for the NWO. Me and Gene Oakland, and I know you're glad of that, aren't you, brother? I couldn't be any happier. Hollywood Ogie couldn't be here tonight because he's in Montreal doing a Hollywood movie. In Montreal. So I brought my brothers from dinner in a movie over here to grace our presence with some beautiful, original dishes to put the sizzle on the party. Happy birthday, NWO. Yeah. I understand that you were a guest on Dinner at a Movie. Roll it, brother. It's documented. Check it out. Oh, it's a new world order. Yeah. uh, We are seeing that. Macho Man Randy Savage. I do not feel good about this at all. Scott Hall is my tag team partner. Tonight, we're going to get rid of Diamond Dallas Page. And Lex Luger. Happy birthday, NWO Madness, NWO style. All right, gentlemen. I'm going to speak on behalf of myself and these thousands of fans and millions across the country who are watching this television program tonight. I think you are totally insulting all of us to have the guts to come on this program and do this to me and do this to me. Oh, I'm insulted, Gene. You've hurt my feelings. Go yeah, jerk your own chicken. I'm terribly upset. Here. I'm incredibly upset. I've had enough of Happy birthday. Where is Diamond Dallas? Is he afraid to show his face? Get a movie close for Yeah. <laughs> I don't see him around here. Well, I don't think he's around he's anywhere. Afraid. They didn't call him a cream puff. Out. Where is he? Oh man, I don't I'm gonna tell you what. No, he's afraid. You know why? Because he's Diamond Dallas, Dallas. Pattyway. <laughs> That's what he thought. Yeah. Yeah, you're gonna show me your, uh, you're gonna show me your cookie cut.
season of dinner in a movie like that. Welcome to Madness in a Movie. Have a little cake. And this is why the so, big boys play here. So, we're once again to the dinner in a movie set. As we have been for multiple times, or it feels like it anyway, me and Gene Oakland joins the host. And he starts chatting to them, he says, go on, tell us what food you've got. And the guy gets sort of like a little sign out and he goes, these are macho nachos. And he puts them in. And then he, you know, he starts he starts naming all his other food. And all the other food, he's giving a, a, a Randy Savage name. <laughs> and... <laughs> And then Oakland goes, wait a minute, what's going on here? And they both take their aprons off, they're like, we're NWO for life, Gene. And they've both got, they've both got these black and white Randy Savage Madness shirts on. It's like, oh right, the host of dinner and a movie are both fucking NWO for life. Alright, this makes sense. So, Randy Savage rocks up and they take me to Oakland hostage, as you do. I mean, what knows what's going on? They have an NWO cake. It's quite a big cake, and they got candles on four corners. Out comes Dallas Page. Page just cleans house, just rips up the set, pulls it all down, and then Fairfax, one of the hosts, just eats the diamond. Do <laughs> you do? I, I, I'm not sure Dell's in a fit state to talk to it. Rory, I'll start with you. Talk us through this. Uh, yeah, okay, while, while we try and get Dell back, so to speak, that might take a while. Uh, this wasn't the worst non-wrestling segment we've seen this month. That, of course, was the Million Dollar Challenge. That, despite Dell's reaction, was a million times more entertaining than this. Do we oh, really... come on! Yes, come we're, on we're, now. We're, Do we really we Who saw that coming? Okay, it's... 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 <laughs> it's, it's, it's they have turned 20 people into the NWO in the last 12 months. None of them have been less, less obvious than this. Oh, I suppose... So well okay, disguised. They are already more credible than half the people in the NWO, I'll give you that. They're probably better uh, wrestlers than at least four of them. <laughs> I think more than, a lot more than four, probably a lot more than ten as well. Uh, it was... I, I, of course, I did not see it coming. And I, I say, this is something else I've gone, I've iffed and armed on. I mean, Dell's reaction, I'm clearly in, in the minority on this one. Whether we really need hosts of a cooking show joining the NWO. But then we are talking about the member of NWO Glasgow here, so he's going to love it. And uh, I say, fair dues to this guy, whoever he is. I've never heard of him before. We don't get this program in the UK. But, uh, now I know he's likes naming his food after various names related to Randy Savage, and he can take a pretty mean diamond cutter. Um, is that a lie? <laughs> oh, fuck. The, chef, the floor is yours. Chef, He's on it. <laughs> Let's pick him up off it first. Fucking heel turn. The chefs. <laughs> um, I, I, I popped like a motherfucker for this, man. I thought this was brilliant. Um, I, I've, I've genuinely got tears. Just, this is just remembering that you should have seen me when it happened. I was fucking standing up. I literally gave them a stand innovation for this segment. I have never seen any. I've seen a lot of shit in wrestling. And when they get through the food, oh, we've got fucking macho nachos. We've got this, we've got that. Then we've got the WCW cream puffs. And it's like, what the fuck is going on here? And then they fuck, they rip off the aprons. And Gene's reaction to that. <laughs> you, you would genuinely think that you would think that Princess Di has come back to life watching that. I mean, I, it was so... Oh, Dal, too soon. Come on. Dal, Dal, it was a few hours ago, mate. Come it on. Was, <laughs> it has only been a matter of hours, but still. <sighs> it, it, it was just unbelievable. I, I've not, I, I genuinely don't 
the fucking chef did a heel turn. <laughs> Who's seen it coming? Nobody. <laughs> I, 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 I genuinely just thought this was just a bit of my old man of product placement at the start of this show. So fair play, right? They're doing a, they're doing a, what's essentially a pay-per-view quality event on free TV. They've struggled <laughs> to sell tickets. They clearly fucking sell no tickets two weeks ago at the at the whatever it was in Sturgis. They're, they're just trying to make a few pounds here. They're trying to make a few dollars. We'll get in dinner and a movie. We'll plug that. Randy was on it the last couple of weeks. We'll get a bit of money. And then the fucking chef do a heel turn. Is uh, I don't know, man. Pro wrestling is dead. Long live sports entertainment, boys. Oh, man. Because we're NWO for life. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like, this was... This was like a, a a mild version of when Flair turned on Sting at, at the uh, Halloween Havoc a couple of years ago. Like, Stand tall. Stand just tall. so excited. Just so excited. Just like, I got no idea that was coming. It was just great. I think they were so confident with it as well. Oakland was <laughs> appalled. But a lot of things that segment liked, but conviction was not one <laughs> And then Savage comes up, and they're like, right, we're taking Oakland hostage. Of course they are. For what? <laughs> that, that, that really should have played out. Like, just see how little WCW were willing to give up to get Oakland back. <laughs> just see like, what they'd have sacrificed to do it. You know, oh, we'll, we'll get you Ice Train. You know, we'll, get, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get you two of the guys in the previous match. That's it. That's all we're offering in return. They don't pay the ransom next week, so the following <laughs> week they send his moustache through the post. Or <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they say, right, we'll get you four entries into the WWS Million Dollar Challenge. <laughs> I don't know. Number three. Will reveal the location of Gino. (laughs) (laughs) And the guy negotiating on the other line's got to be Lee Marshall. Oh, fuck. Give me us a win. Oh, man. Who's going to go heel next, I wonder? Who's next to join the NWO? Cheryl Baker? (laughs) Dean Smith, maybe? Fucking Chef Boyardi. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they've got... (laughs) They've got a racing driver. They've got two chefs, the tag team of the of the NWO, you know, the non-wrestling arm, the tag team group. Uh, they've got Rodman. Um, yeah, they're doing all right, aren't they? I don't know who's that. I'm, I'm half expecting during his next uh, State of the Uni address, old Billy C to reveal an NWO t-shirt next. <laughs> the special referee could be lad, lad. <laughs> Stay off the marshmallow, man. <laughs> Fuck's sake! I don't you know. Said that show was naked. <laughs> I don't know. I, this might be the second show of the month that's been saved by great non-wrestling. Would Summers love? I don't know. After all that, Paige comes out, cleans house, hits no one with the cake, but the cake's obvious, right? The cake looked really nice, so surely you stick it in someone's face. <sighs> the Paige is. Cleans house. And then Fairfax just nails one of them with a diamond cutter who took like one of the best diamond cutters I've ever seen. Absolutely. He took it, he took it flat. You know, so there you go. On, on, on a stage. Wearing glasses, as he made, made uh, clear to point out. I don't know. 
I, 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 I need this more. I, I need, I need people on WCW doing the NWO in segments that we don't expect. You know, I like one of the Nitro girls next week just joins the NWO. That'd be brilliant. We need more of this. I don't know. Brilliant. Anyway. For one of Dale's favourite segments, one of his least favourite segments, it's the 1-800-collect call from oh. Dean Marshall. Of course we get that. Anyway, moving on next. It's Six and Conan versus Ric Flair and Kurt Heading. Lots of reactions for Flair out of the gate. Heading and Conan lock up. Nothing of note happens, then Six tags in. Heading tags in Flair and there's loads of woos from the crowd. Flair drops a knee on Six's head before hitting a back body drop. Heading tags in, hits a big knee lift onto Six, who gets tagged in by Conan. The heels double-team Heading. Randy Anderson decides he doesn't want to see this, so he turns around and gets distracted by Flair. Flair goes after Conan. Heading counters something from Six, who arrows across the ring to take out Flair by the back of the knee. Fucking bolted across the ring. Heading hits the perfect, we can't actually call it perfect, plex, fisherman suplex on Conan for the win. Rory. Yeah, that's the fisherman's suplex. The fisherman's suplex, as Tony made sure we heard it twice. Nothing perfect about it. This match was okay. It, it's one of those where just by existing, it did everything it needed to. Flair was by far the most overman, probably, of the entire show. Because, again, as we say so often, we could try and analyse it, but because he's Ric Flair, sums it up fairly nicely. Six looked fine. Hennig, not Henning, Hennig, wish I'd actually get this bloody name right, was okay in there. He's definitely should lost... That, it, it should be Henning. It should be, but it's not. <laughs> Hennig. Hennig. Have we got it? Okay, good. Let's move on. Operating about 65-70% of his speed. All the moves are still there. I wonder if the crowd have already sussed out what might be happening with him because he's not really getting particularly strong reactions even though he's on the babyface side at the moment. But he looked okay. He's not... I feared he would show a lot more ring rust in his matches. He's been okay. He's not been the perfect of old but he hasn't disgraced himself. Conan, I'd like to pretend just doesn't exist anymore after his last... Uh, making life much harder for me in my top 20 worst matches of the year. This was okay. I thought the finish was quite clever. The drill into the knee. They half followed up, they don't, and they just go straight to the finish. Uh, that made an accident, in the context of professional wrestling, made an accident look intentional, if that makes any sense. Uh, the right person won. I like the little tete-a-tete at the end. This was perfectly acceptable television wrestling trademark. Dan, are you back with us? I think it was uh, Fisherman acceptable, not perfectly acceptable. Um, I, I really like all four of these in the ring. Less so six, but if I had to lump it in as love or hate, it would be love. But um, even I wasn't expecting a barn burner here. I, for what it's worth, I did think Eric looked a lot sharper than he did even just a couple of weeks ago. Um, I think it was what you were saying, Bob, um, I think it just comes down to a level of ring rust that's in there, because you can see him now with a couple of weeks under his belt, he is starting to get back to the going back to the, the Hennig of old, and he was said perfect, sorry Tony, um, but he's starting to do the oversell, and he's starting to do the big bumps. Um, Six always kind of seems as if he's punching above his weight, because usually he is, to be fair, but um, I do still quite like him. I suppose that's just the joy of being 180, £190, but your buddies are like £300ers he gets away with it. But um, it did get a bit messy, a bit early, which was something. 
But um, when you've got the four of these in here, I'm, I'm never really going to say it's bad. I know Conan's got more than a few detractors, but I were happy for him getting into this kind of that's going to match up because he's one of the guys where he's kind of too big to be with the cruisers and he's too wee to be with the heavies. But um, I, I quite liked this. It, it was decent enough. It wasn't really any better, but it was just nice to see Hennig back to at least somewhat of what we expected when he came in. Yeah, um, it was okay, wasn't it? Uh, it wasn't as bad as Flair and Six's match last month. It wasn't as bad as Conan's match last month. And it wasn't as... Oh, sorry. This month, God, I've taken a couple of weeks ago. wasn't as bad as Flair and Six earlier this month. wasn't as bad as Conan's match earlier this month. It wasn't as bad as Henning's match last month either. It was just okay. Um, you know, it was slightly weird, and I kind of worked it out fairly early on. It's like, okay, Flair will be in the ring most of the match. He'll tag in Henning, who will pin Conan, which is exactly what happened, which is a little bit predictable. Um, apparently, they were thinking of turning Henning on Flair at this show, and obviously we'll, we'll find out where that story's gone in a, in a short while. Um, but yeah, that kind of left this match without really a purpose. I kind of wonder whether they booked the match expecting to do the turn, then worked out they weren't going to do the turn, then were kind of just left with the match. Um, didn't really help in the end in terms of the prospects for all of this, but there we are. Um, Oakland gets in the ring. He wants to know if Henning will tell us if he's a horseman. Henning says no, but it's not clear if he's declined to answer the question or not. Flair does not look happy as they argue and head to the back. Michael Buffer is on hand for the main event. It's Scott Hall and Randy Savage with Conan Nash, Lear Six, Bagwell, Norton, Vincent, and probably a couple of others versus Darn Dallas Page with Kimberly Page and Lex Luger. We're out for the NWO birthday party, now, which, you know, all birthdays happen 13 months after your uh, date of birth, right? I suppose. There we go. Nash says this is a tag title match. Savage will defend in Nash's place. There's black and white balloons everywhere. The rest of the NWO bugger off. It's at Nash and Liz. All the balloons being pop does make it sound as a gunfight going on in the crowd, but there we are. We start with Luger and Hall. Hall throws Luger to the floor and Nash gets a shot in. Nash gets ejected by Nick Patrick. The NWO getting control with Sari taking a double axe handle off of the top. Page tags in and fights off both guys. Hall hits a four-away slam for a two and the NWO regain control and keep Page in their half of the ring. That goes on for a few minutes until Luger gets the hot tag and runs wild with a big double clothesline. Luger throws Sarge over the top. Shivoni pretends the over-the-top rule is a thing. and still a DQ. Sarge breaks up the torture rack. Hall shunts Luger into Page as his back turned. Page then blindly hits a diamond cutter and all four men go down. Hall calls over to Luger and makes the pin and the NWO retain. Del? Decent. Um, I wouldn't say any better. I wouldn't say any worse. They do, whenever you get Hall and Nash out, they do bring a big match feel here, I think. As much as we spoke about in Volume 1, the reservations that we've got in a man of tag division where they, they kind of just phone it in every week and then Kevin Nash pretty much actual did phone it in because oh, there's Randy, Randy will do it for me and I'll just stand out here and look at Lizzie's arse. Um, the Freebird rule coming back in after a few years I quite like. If anybody's going to do it, it is surely a faction the size of the NWO. Um, just going back to even before the bell, I don't know what you think about him, Bob, but Michael Buffer for me is just such a stupendous waste of money. I don't know what it is. He, he doesn't seem to have any charisma. He still stood out there with the cue cards. And then I don't know whether he was looking at Kimberly or no, but he introduced his DDP as Double D. It's like, it's, I, I just don't know what they keep giving him money for. Um, but, I mean, he does, I suppose, bring a level 
was going to say dignity, Christ, but I was, he brings a level of name value, I suppose, or gimmick value to a match. Um, but, I mean, the, the match was it was decent enough. Luger's really doing pretty, some pretty good stuff these days. Paige seems to be on the crest of the wave, especially with that cutter. Um, he's certainly been in the highlight of this show for me. But, um, aye, it, it was just decent. They, they've done all right. Hard not to like Scott Hall in any capacity, if he's just talking or if he's wrestling or if he's just looking like a cool, cool guy. Well, it's quite hard we're voting for the MVP last year, but, you know, I'm well, not bitter. I've got, I've got over it. If you put him in there with Glacier, it's only going to go one way, but he's a, he's a solid silver. But, um, no, nah, it, was, it was decent. It was it was an all right end to the show. Um, dare I say, if it had been lights out straight after the bell, it would probably have been a different outcome if what was ultimately the finale of the, the, the show. But um, for the match itself, it was all right. It was decent. Dale, on the subject of Buffalo, like, I... I disagree to a point in that I, I think he's got that gravitas to him just because of his presence, but this isn't the show to use him on. Like, Buffer, use Buffer four times a year when you've got a really fucking big match that you need to introduce. And let your audience know we only bring him out when we've got something to bring him out for. They kind of use him too often, you know, they use him mm. at times in, like, the openers when they, they present the openers like one of the main events and, you know, that kind of thing. This was not a big match. This was a match kind of half thrown together. Okay, four big stars, but, you know, just a match, just a throwaway yeah. segment. I think they'd gain more out of Buffer if they just said, right, we'll use you for the Piper match in October, we'll use you for the Sting match in December, and that's it for the rest of the year. And then when Buffer shows up, it's like, fuck, shit's going down. At the moment, it doesn't work. Well, I'm not trying to be funny. The first time I minded seeing Buffer on that show was Hogan Flair. Flair won back in, what, 95? That was the first... 94, that was the first time I mind have seen him as part of this project. And that's as big as big gets. Now you get him in fucking nitros. He just comes out to the start, let's get ready to rumble, right? Give me my check, see you later. And it's, I don't know, I, I, I don't know, I'm really just getting off Michael Buffer, I don't know what it is. Even with what? his heart fairly in the month. Karen's the last one. Just the thing about Buffer, it's very easy to think that he came in with Hogan, but he didn't. He was doing stuff uh, for pay-per-views, and I think even the odd clash back in 93. I think he was one of Bischoff's first acquisitions to try and take them out of being a Southern wrestling promotion. So he's been around when he's been called upon for a long while. Pretty much every pay-per-view and many in Nitro for four years. It's a nice work if you can get it. Speaking of which, the match was a a nice work if you can get it one as well. There wasn't a whole lot to it. It was traditional last two years of Clash of Champions or indeed Nitro main event tag team fair, albeit with a pinfall finish. Uh, Everybody just did what they were in there to do. I think now... Knowing what we now know, Nash picking Savage when he could have picked the other dinner and a movie guy to be his partner, that was a wasted opportunity. <laughs> Apart from that, it was uh, it was all right. The finish was very cute, wasn't it? I had to rewind back. I, I, I missed it. It happened very quickly with Paige being blinded by, I think, Savage poking him in the eye and then getting in a shot on Luger who fell into Paige and Paige thinking it was somebody else. I don't think everybody in the crowd got that straight away. I, I didn't. I and know. the reaction when DDP hit the cutter on Luger, I think at least some people in the crowd probably bought it as a DDP heel turn. It was a shocked reaction rather than a disappointed reaction. 
wasn't, oh, no, he's cost his team the match because he's been blinded. It was, hang on a minute, did he just... Which obviously wasn't the case. They just about got away with it. Yeah, fine, MWO win in the main event because that's what they do. And you can't really pick this one apart because it was just getting big names on a TV show. Surely so they would have but I'm not going to criticise it. Sorry, Dom? Surely they would have had the common sense to notice that surely with such a cataclysmic heel turn earlier in the evening. They <laughs> no, no, nothing, can come, nothing can ever come close to that again, can it? They probably changed plans after such a <laughs> fucking turn here in the show. Um, yeah, match was fine. I saw a bit of star power. Um, you know, it was action was okay. It wasn't particularly memorable. As Del kind of said, Hall's still pretty good. Sarage can still, you know, tune it in. And Luger and DDP are both over. It was okay. But, yeah, so they announced it as a tag match. And nobody remotely buys that the tag titles are going to change hands, which doesn't help. Uh, it was nice to have a somewhat different finish. Um, I agree, Roy. I'm not sure how well it connects. I'm not sure how well it looked full stop. Um, you know, Paige just randomly on his back turn. He gets bumped into by Luger and just snaps it. Like, you know, it's just a bit contrived. Yeah, it was fine. A nice way to, well, in theory, end the show. Um, but evidently not. Um, <coughs> the arena gets dumped in NWO sheets of paper celebrating the NWO's birthday. Out come the rest of the NWO. And this time it's with Bischoff. Where a man's heart is full of deceit, it burns up, dies, and a dark shadow falls over his soul. From the ashes of a once great man has risen a curse, a wrong that must be righted. We look to the skies for a vindicator, someone to strike fear into the black hearts of the same man who created him. The battle between good and evil has begun. Against an army of shadows comes a dark warrior. The prevailer of good with the voice of silence and a mission of justice. This is Sting. Bischoff leads the happy birthday celebrations and he goes down the line and sucks up to Hall and Nash. He bemoans the lack of NWO TV show pleased to turn her, pleased to, turn her to pay up and something weird starts happening with the lights. Sting is up in the rafters backed by some weird music and a child reading something. Sting is holding a bird or a vulture or a crow or whatever it is. The voiceover says he's a warrior of justice. The lights go out completely and when they come back on the crow's on the turnbuckle. Okay. They're also piping in this really weird, like, <laughs> noise. Like, you'd have heard it. I don't know what they're really doing with it. Um, and, yeah, essentially the idea was the bird was going to have a, a note in its claw that was going to say Hogan's soul, i.e., which was Sting's way of telling J.J. Dillon and this highly convoluted and not particularly well-written story about Sting wanting to have Hogan, even though it's really fucking obvious that he wanted to face Hogan anyway. The bird dropped the note. So, they got the... Uh, going on like that. 
the birds on the apron, and then they've just got, you know, they've got Nash and Hall, and everyone's still in the ring, and I'm like, fuck do we do now? Got no notes. See, you know, Bischoff walks up to it and gets scared shitless, and he walks off, and, you know, Hall does the, you know, the, the finger wobble, and Nash kind of batters up with the belt like he's going to take a swing at it. And no, we just go off the air. And it's like, you know, it's one of those things. It's, what they planned wasn't very good anyway, but this was even worse. I don't know whether they should have maybe contacted me because the boy that stays across the road from my bar keeps pigeons. So I don't know whether we should have come up with something that was a bit more kind of solid a contingency plan. Um, but for what, I must admit, my that's totally blindsided me. Um, for the second time tonight, as we've seen, we've done another movie earlier on. I was totally invested in this. I don't know what it was. Um, the the lights and the, the kind of very subtle mic cut the Bischoff was actually done really good. I mean, I'm, I'm under no pretense that it was entirely accidental, but it really came across quite cool on TV. And then um, as soon as you cut this thing, and then you see, what the fuck is that bird? It's where it was massive. As soon as you've seen the, the wingspan on it, that thing was massive. And then that, the music, I've never heard that music. It was cool as anything, the music that went with Sting. The, the child's voice with the, the poem, well, not really a poem, it was more like a symphonic poem, but the, the words that went with it was really cool about fighting an army of shadows. And it, it, it really just made Sting look like the coolest guy in the planet. I don't know what it was, even the stuff with the bird, I never knew the, the note kind of situation that would come onto the show, because something that's, I'm, I'm quite bad for getting things spoiled, I'll, I'm usually quite lazy as part of this project, and you usually tell me what's going to happen before I watch it, which always kind of puts a dampener on it, and um, when we came to this, I was like, oh, fuck, I, never, I nearly turned this off when it went to commercial after the match, because I just figured that was the end of the day. But um, thankfully, I stuck with it, and then I seen this. And I'm not going to lie, this one segment is easily fit the full show up a point for me. Um, the crowd had already probably done their best part of getting a point or two added on as it was. But um, I, I just really loved this man. Everything just seemed to click, which is so rare in WCW. But being true to WCW, they still managed a little fuck up with the bird in the note, which just adds to it for me because that's what you expect for Atlanta. But the full, the full hang, I just thought was so, so cool. Boy, okay, two major things here. First, when Bischoff was going around the room, so to speak, did anybody pick up what Nash actually said? Shagging. Here's right. We've been shagging our way through WCW for a year. Dale's rhetoric okay. is finally catching on. Right, here we go, yeah. Now, shagging in American English is, I believe, a dance. Ten years ah. ago here in the UK, there were um, a soul R&B band called The Tams. They had a number one with Hey Girl, Don't Bother Me back in 1974. They had a number 21 hit in 1987 with a song called There Ain't Nothing Like Shagging. <laughs> and it was banned by the BBC. It wasn't even announced as having a name on chart rundowns on top of the pops. What was Nash talking about here? Del, I'm handing it over to you. <laughs> He's been shagging his way through the roster. But for a guy like Kevin Nash, why uh, do you think the Nitro girls are on TV every week? He's if anybody, uh, the roster. If anybody is going to be up on English, English, let's say, colloquialisms, 
I think Big Kev might well be fairly high on my list of people. The fact he <laughs> sort of sunk into the background, put his finger to his lips, saying, oh, yes, I really did just say that. Yes, well done, Kev. People in the arena might not have got it, but uh, I think we did, mate. So you were up there under the cover of darkness. Well played, well played. Yeah, um, uh, bring it down a bit. What is it, the old saying? Um, never work on live TV with children or animals. And we got both here, and uh, it was a bit of a sloppy mess. I'm pretty biased. I'm probably the only person maybe on this, certainly maybe on this show, maybe our entire staff who thinks this. I don't really like this thing character, you know. For oh, me, it I... peaked. For, for me, it peaked when he comes down from the rafters at uncensored with his baseball bat after that 12-man match and lays waste to the NWO. I don't want... If Sting is going to be the flag bearer for WCW... Uh, just have him be the old Sting with a bit of an edge. I just, yes, there was a film three years ago called The Crow. Yeah, all right. Yes, and he's got this big bird and everything, and there's a child coming up with cod mystical mumbo jumbo. I'm going to start losing. I think it says it all that when the, the Nitro after this, when it looked like Sting got his match and he smiled at getting his match, that meant a lot more to me, felt a lot more human than him stood up in the rafters with a bird on his hand. And let alone the fact that they just got it wrong. I don't think I can put up with this for another four months, let alone the fact that the note just disappeared. Fair play. I mean, the guys in the ring, they did their best having to improvise for about three minutes, making it look like the bird was a symbol of some great portent. But you're not going to believe that for so long. But hey, what, what else are you going to do? So yeah, it was a bold segment. I'll give them that. But as you did say earlier, Dale, was being WCW, they're always going to find a way to screw it up. But I just can't get invested in this thing character again unless some more character-based human traits come back to the fore. If that makes me my own version of being a lone wolf like him, then so be it. I think in uh, in homage to the segment earlier, rather than using a crow or even a pigeon, the best bird in this instance used would have been a parrot. Because they could have had the parrot fly down from the top and then he could have got in and Bishop could have put a mic in his mouth he's just could have gone, NWO! Like that. <laughs> that would have been, that would have sent this show right over the edge. If, Bob Bamba, creative genius, there you go. If, if, if the parrot had have turned and joined the NWO, <laughs> it would have made the earlier segment palely in significance. Give this guy a pencil, stat. Come on, <laughs> like a like a sting parrot. Yeah, you could you could get like, like find a black and white parrot, and he flies down to the ring, and he joins the NWO, and that sting has lost all his powers. The story I would have gone nowhere. It would have been funny as fuck. Um, oh. But yeah, they they just I don't know. Like I, I don't I don't know why someone went. Well, this is a good idea. Like, you know, like we, we already know what Sting wants. There's no mystery in it whatsoever. That's that's my one problem with it, really, is. We, we know, everybody knows. Don't well, dress it up in this mystical bullshit. But people knowing what it is, I, I still think people want to see that match. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, whether it's... Whether four months is too long is a question we're going to have to find out. When are they going to be able to drag that out? I mean, I suspect, you know, now they basically announced it, and we're not really going to discuss it then, but, we'll, we'll, you know, the, they, they did the segment with, with Dylan um, 
there was only one more show, so it would have the following week. And he's doing the voiceover, and they said, yeah, I have, I am going to have a match in place with Sting and Hogan. He didn't say when, but the implication, whenever you say that, is soon. And then Dylan drops off of the, I say the line, he's been piped through the arena speakers. And Oakland goes, you've got your match some point this year. It's like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just don't. I think Sting's doing all right. I mean, I suspect Sting's having a well of a time. He's not fucking working. It's brilliant. <laughs> I think Sting hasn't wrestled a match in about 11 months. Uh, he must feel fantastic. You know, he's a bit out of ring shape. Um, but yeah, I, I you know, I, they, they tried something here. The question is, would it have worked had it have worked? I don't know. Else it would have been better. Um but yeah, like as you say, never work with animals. There's a good reason why. The Sting thing's just about working, just because Sting seems to be the one guy the NWO are universally scared of. Um, that's why it's working, and that's why I think it will work when it comes time to Hogan. I was after that, I don't know. But but anyway, there we are. Rory, your overall thoughts on this show and a score running out of 10? Boy, we gleaned the entertainment out of this one, didn't we, over the last hour and a half? Uh a lot to enjoy here, if that's the sort of thing. If this is the final Clash of the Champions, it's almost a fitting way to go based on what it has become pretty much since Hogan came along. There was that big, really huge Clash of the Champions a month after he joined when he had that match uh, with Flair and that was the also the match, uh, the show which had the superb Steamboat Austin match. I don't think any Clash has come close to that one ever since. But this was worthy, say... Decent action up and down the card. Some good fun. <laughs> if you like that sort of thing. Title changes. Big names in your main events. Major story advancement at the end. Bungled. It may well have been. Whether I like it or not is another matter. Uh, I don't think we need to see another Clash of the Champions. So I'll be sorry to see it go. But it's almost anathema to where wrestling is going in mid-1997. This show, in its own right, everything taken into account, the free TV caveat, the amount of laughter that we've managed to squeeze from squeeze from the sponge, from the cake. I'm actually going to go a seven on this one, Sonic. No. I thought I was going to be generous. Um, before the last segment, I'd marked it down as a five because there, there wasn't really much here. Um, it, it's very hard to see me looking back at this in three, six, nine months and thinking anything really memorable before that sting shit. Um, I thought the, the Jericho Guerrero match was really good. The Alec Wright match was surprisingly good. Otherwise, there wasn't really much wrestling-wise. And when you get a show that has just two hours of wrestling, that's a bit a worry. Um, the, the the dinner in a movie popped me like a fuck, man. I just love that. Um, other than that, there's just there's quite a lot of names, but just not a lot of substance. Um, it's pretty much the story of WCW, really, if you want to get down to it. Um, the crowd definitely helped it. And then after, as I say, that last bit, I just loved it. it. It definitely put up a point for me, at least. So I'm going to go with a six. Yeah, uh, grading on the TV curve, um, this was a show with good matches, no real bad matches. I know we had our, our bit to say on the on the Lucha match, but, you know, it was fine. Um, everything else was, you know, at least average, sometimes good. Uh, the show... Went very, very quickly. It was very enjoyable to watch. There's there's a really funny segment in the middle. And there's a segment at the end that was funny for quite different reasons. 
Oh, you know what? A fun little watch. I'd give this a seven and a half out of ten. Tony leads us off by talking about Sting. Today nails it with a line, The voice of silence is on a mission of justice. They replay the closing moments of The Clash and we again hear the pre-tape promo. Gene speaks about getting Sting to talk and welcomes out Bischoff. Bischoff calls Sting the Birdman. Gene throws the double J on the phone. He vows to sign Sting and Hogan before the end of the year. And I rate Bischoff goes full petulant before Sting arrives. He chokes Bischoff with a Hogan t-shirt and smiles silently. Back from commercial, we get another Raven pre-tape to camera. The desk continues the Sting narrative before we see Glacier and Norman Smiley team to beat Psychosis and La Parker. And we're straight into Silver King versus the Ultimo Dragon, who gets a Dragon Sleeper for the win. Savage and Hall come out and they have a new member, Dallas Page. They run down DDP and Luger. After commercial, Page comes out and calls out calls the NWO's bluff. First our main event, we get Benoit being robbed by Jeff Jarrett. Gene hoaxes Gene hawks the Nitro Party Pack with the Nitro Girls, and they're doing a competition to get you to join to get your Nitro Party on TV. Meng and Barbarian beat Mortis and Wrath. We're then joined by the Horseman. Flair cuts to the chase and says he wants Henning's answer. Answer. Perfect says he can't answer, but they welcome back the Enforcer. Aunt talks to Oakland about his injury. He says the hourglass has turned. He begins to get emotional. Flair has tears in his eyes, and he says the time has come. His last challenge is to Hennig. He says he wants him to become not just a spot in the horseman, he wants him to take his spot. Henning says it would be a privilege. Eddie's out to face Mongo. They go quick, but Michael does decent and gets the win. Gene talks to Mysterio about his knee prognosis, but Conan's out to interfere. Giant runs him off before Bischoff takes over the desk. Jericho gets a win over Eugene Nagata, then Harlem Heat talk about their due title match. Bischoff mocks both segments. Malenko faces Alex Wright, but it ends with a Jarrett and Eddie beat down for the DQ win. The, D- the Is DDP NWO stories back, and it's Savage and Luger in the main event. They WCW it around ringside, but we don't technically have a dusty finish. We go off the air with Luger racking DDP. Kurt, we've waited for two months, and tonight, right here on Nitro, man. We want an answer, please. Rick, I would love to give you and the other horsemen an answer, but I'm not ready to give you that answer tonight. This is unbelievable. Kurt, you're a special kind of athlete, a special kind of man, and that gets special consideration. So anticipating your answer, I invited someone down here tonight that wants to have a word with you. My best friend, the Enforcer's in town. Come on. Oh, yeah. He's back. man. You want to talk about a man who is the household word here in Columbia, South Carolina. It has got to be the man who is coming to the ring right now. One of the all-time legends of this great sport, the Enforcer. Arn Anderson. A standing ovation. Look at that. It's a pleasure to hold the microphone, Mr. Anderson, up for you on this occasion. Well, Gene, all I can tell you, 
to get a response like this means what I got to say tonight mean that much more. You see, I'm a realist, and everybody knows I've got average size and speed and average ability, but I've parlayed that into what I would call a very successful career. And I did that on sheer will alone. But another reality is, four months ago, they took four vertebrae out of my neck. Consequently, I'm left with a hand, my left hand, too weak to hold a glass, too weak to button a button. But I thought in my mind, I knew in my mind I could overcome that too, through sheer will. And I was doing just like that. I think I've come back a long way. But the other day I had something happen in the gym that was like a cold slap in the face of reality. A guy about your size, Gene, came up and he slapped me on the back and he said, Double A, where you been? We hadn't seen you on TV. And just that slap sent a jolt through me. And I dropped the water I was drinking. And just for a second, my system shut down. And it became crystal clear as I watched the few little drops of water draining out of that bottle. The symbolism that was involved. It was like someone had turned an hourglass over and the sand was running out on the career of Arn Anderson. Now, the fact of the matter is, not only do I put myself in a suicide situation by trying to wrestle again, I endanger these two men's careers, and I respect them too much for that. And other than be anything than the enforcer, in my best friend's eyes, I'd rather walk away. And for all you people out there that have ever bought a ticket to see Arn Anderson wrestle, whether you love me or you hated me, you knew that when that bell rang, you got all I had that night. Whether I won, whether I lost, I gave you everything I had. And you knew that. And when you did this to me, that was your acknowledgement. Well, the fact is, I got nothing left to give. And I want you to remember me as I was, not as I am. But being the man that I am, my last act, formerly as a horseman, I got one last challenge. And that's to you, Kurt Henning. Now, don't misunderstand me. It's not for a fight. You got something special. I've seen you in this ring. Your skills, your maturity, your commitment to excellence makes you something special. And what my challenge is to you, Kurt, is stand beside my best friend, Ric Flair, and lead these two men back to the glory and the prominence that the four horsemen once had and I'm going to tell you what your prize is. It's not a spot with the horseman. Because this is worth a lot more than that to me. I'm going to give you the only thing I got left. Not a spot. Not a spot. I'll give you my spot. Wow. Kurt Hennig. You know, I know every wrestler has ever been around or involved in this business we call wrestling who would pass up the honor to not only be a horseman, but to come out and take Arn Anderson's spot as the enforcer of the four horsemen, I have only one thing to say. It would be a privilege. Hey, what about that? I think we've made books, finally. Tony. Bobby.
history of the making. New member of the four horsemen officially tonight, Kurt Hennig, joining Steve Mongo. Gents, only one place to finish on the TV, really. We come to midway through the final nitro of the month, and out come uh, the horsemen, uh, along with Kurt Hennig. Uh, and then out comes Arn Anderson um, to a great reaction. Um, and Anderson basically confirms what a lot of people kind of already knew after he had his, you know, had, had the surgery on his neck that the chance of him returning to the ring was slim. We've done that for a while. And Arn basically, as you kind of just heard, essentially retires, um, says it's time to hang it all up, etc. Um, and then I thought, you know, as much as the whole segment was brilliant, I thought quickly pivoting it into a quite important part of the Kurt Hennig story was a a real stroke of genius from a, a great promo in the sense that it it opened it, it, it kind of took the focus away from Arn as Dave Meltzer said it's kind of a you know a, a summation of Arn Anderson's career and in the end it was him putting over someone else um, and saying you know I'm not just offering you a spot in the horse and offering you my spot and the crowd really got the symbolism of that um, Roy this was a fantastic segment it absolutely was it was it was one of, easily one of my segments of the year thing I really loved about it, it was it summed up the man, Arn Anderson, perfectly. If anybody would have been entitled to 20, 25, 30 minutes of TV time, of which he could cut a huge, great retirement speech, run through his entire career, have video clips playing, maybe Michael Aspel out there with the red book, a huge guard of honour as he walks to the back, it would be Arn Anderson. But no. In about three minutes, he walks to the ring because there's a dispute. He's called there for the dispute between Flair and Hennig. And he says, yes, while I'm here, I was at the gym the other day. And somebody patted me on the back and I realised I felt a shot of pain through my body. And I realised there, when the, the water dropped from the bottle again, fantastic Arn Anderson symbolism. I realised that I can't do this anymore. But I want to keep the spirit of the horseman going. So Hennig, I'm going to hand it over to you. And Hennig, in storyline, could not turn that down. Just, I, 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 I welled up uh, watching it at the time, and I'm feeling a bit emotional now. Arn Anderson is almost a forgotten man a bit with me. I mean, I'm still kicking myself that I didn't mention him in my promo guys of the year in our end-of-year reviews last year. I mean, if, I'd been on, if we'd be doing these shows years ago, I would have made sure not, not to omit him in any year. Plus the fact... It's promos for me always as number one, but this guy would always give you a damn good match, no matter what the circumstances. And like he said that in his speech, average looks, average height, average size, average in-ring ability, but my God, he, he always gave the absolute best of it. So in a perfect world, he would have had almost the entire second half of the show to retire, but it's testament to the man who's so humble, almost too humble, that uh, this was a... A fantastic segment that tied in life and art so well. I miss the sort of thing again, I say it again, sound like a, a pro wrestling fanboy. At its best, no other art form can tie in fantasy and reality in the way wrestling can. And it was great. And it couldn't have happened to a better person. No. It's, it's very rare you get the chance to see a pro wrestler going to on their own terms and uh, this is certainly not one of them but there's been a lot a lot harder stories told um, but Arn Anderson is probably 
I'd say probably my favourite wrestler. Um, above Glacier? Yeah. Even above my man. Even above my man. Which is no no false praise there. That's that's high praise for for Gene's wee brother. Um, he's just. I don't know whether it's because he's a bit fat, he's a bit bald. I maybe get a kinship with him, but um, I thought there's something about Arn Anderson. Whether he's whether it's just the the way that he acts in a ring. There's very few people that manage to do the nuances like Arn Anderson does. There are very few people given the gifts in life that Arn Anderson's had, as he'll tell you, sell his average looking, average body, average kind of size. I, I, I do have a bit of a bone to pick with when he says average ability because as much as he was certainly given maybe a, a poor hand in life with his abilities, that man has worked as good as anybody at honing the talent that he's got and just by no means is this an insult but overachieving to the absolute hilt for what he was given and been able to craft it into something that's pretty special um, on his day he'll talk better than anybody he can tell his story as good as anybody we get a lot of people these days that have maybe lost the ability to take the old school mentality of stalling and working a crowd and working a match it, it kind of it's like it's like the game telephone these days where it's just been watered down that much it's kind of a shadowy where it used to be and Arn Anderson's just the epitome of what wrestling always was and always should be Um, I I really don't want to make this sound verbose which is quite difficult for me because Arn Anderson wouldn't but um, as a man in the wrestling business I just think he's he's just a quintessential overachiever and I mean that with the most praise possible. Um, absolutely made up for him that he has got it with a modicum of health. Um, I dare say we'll still be talking about him in many years to come. I would like to think that he's pretty much earned a job for life in some capacity in this business because that man has put his life and blood and sweat and tears into it, so he deserves at least the same back. Um, and I I think the, the best praise that you could probably give him is it's no everybody that can basically live in the back pocket probably the best ever in many people's eyes and still be seen as his equal which I think he's more than done with Ric Flair um, so I, I I'm Anderson is just always going to be the, the dawn for me I think he's a, an amazing guy, amazing wrestler and um, I just hope it's not the last we see him I think <clears throat> I think Arn Anderson's. If I was a pro wrestler, I think I'd want to be Arn Anderson. You know, I, I think I'd. You know, you want to be the guy that you know. All right, to the point. Maybe you want to be the big star. Maybe you want to be Hogan. But I think I'd want to be the guy. You know, I Anderson is on the mic. How I want to be able to talk. You know, Anderson seems to always find the right words. He's always find a way of expressing himself in a way that that most guys can't. We talk about great promos and we'll talk about flares and, and Hogan's and Pipers. Like I don't I don't know that Anderson's not better than all three of them. 
like in terms of you know being able to communicate a message across. You know, Flair was naturally more charismatic, which helped. Flair got the reactions because he was you know more emotive. But I don't know that any of them found their words more cleanly and you know found a better way of expressing those words quite like Anderson has. Like Anderson makes everyone else's promos look really ordinary sometimes. Always seems to find the right words, never seems to miss a beat. Um, and this was a great example of that. Um, you know, he. Th- this was not a home run promo. Okay, it was a sort of retirement speech in front of a crowd that really liked you and a crowd that you worked in front of a lot before. It wasn't quite a home run, but in many ways it was an easy setup. But Anderson found a way of expressing himself, like the. You know, the the, the the pivot into the whole thing with Henny, you know, and the bit saying, you know, you're not, you know, I'm, I'm not offering you a spot, I'm offering you my spot. That was like shit, chills. You know, that kind of thing. That was like, this isn't this isn't an ordinary promo now. Um, and I answered that spot. And, you know, I, I kind of feel like this... This decade, this this generation is going to look look at Anderson and think, oh yeah, he was a you know a really good mid card hand. And to an extent, that was because oftentimes that was how he was presented. But it's like there aren't there aren't many guys as well rounded that we've ever seen, certainly in this timeline, than him. There are very few promos as good as he was, and as much as I, you know, I suspect that we we certainly didn't see the best of in ring work. There are very few wrestlers, even on that scale, that were as good as he he has been in this last three or four years. Um, and yeah, I, I agree. It's a shame that he's you know hasn't gone out on his own terms. Wrestling, and a lot of times, will do that. It won't give you a choice. It will just say that your time is up. Um, I'm glad that he seems to have got out healthy enough. You know, we talked about not being able to do much with his left wrist and that kind of thing. And that's just, that's one of the prices you have to pay for, for being in this business. Um, but yeah, this was a fantastic segment. Um, really, really well done. And Anderson can, you know, move on to whatever. I suspect he'll find a role in WCW easily enough. I'd be surprised if they can't find something for him. Uh, in fact, I'd be stunned if they can't find something for a, for a mind as good as his. Um, and yeah, WCW is just going to be a, a little less good without him. You know, he never he never really occupied the top spot in any of the stuff we've covered. You know, occasionally he was shunted into the main event in kind of you know tag matches and an eight man kind of full brawl main events and that kind of thing. But he was always knocking about, and he was never involved in anything bad. It was always at least good. At times, the WCW wasn't always good, and it's kind of a shame. It's kind of a shame that his career has, you know, tailed off into injury and retirement just now. It's kind of a shame we didn't get a year with him working alongside Benoit and, you know, against guys like Malenko and, you know, Ultimo Dragon and people like that. Really interesting to see how Anderson, even an Anderson over the hill, would have been able to respond to that. Um, but this was a cracking segment, a great way to, at least for now, end the will they, won't they with Kurt Hennig in the Four Horsemen. You know, I think people were, I don't know how people were interested in that. I think it was like, okay, get on with it. Um, you know, and that might only last a few weeks. God knows they were going to turn him already this month. Um, but a fantastic segment and a, a great way of saying goodbye. And as much as we said he could have taken up half an hour or 45 minutes, I don't know that it would have been quite as good. Um, you know, Anderson cutting a, a sharp, 
really, really good three, four minute promo that, you know, said all the things you need to say but didn't outstay its welcome and didn't really, you know, overdo it too much or pivoting really nicely into an angle that a significant angle, you know, essentially a full horseman now without Arn Anderson, which is weird enough to think about, um, you know, but I, I I think the best thing I can say to finish is that they've tried a lot with Kurt Hennig in the last two months, a lot to try and present him as a big deal. This was by far and away the most significant. I watched Hennig for the first time in WCW ring and went, okay, he means he, he matters now. He means something. Um, and it took Ireland some retiring to do that. I don't know what that says, but, you know, WCW storytelling isn't always the sharpest. Um, and that will end the show. Big thank you to Roy McNamara. Roy, thank you very much. My pleasure. All back to mind for some macho nachos then, yep. Yes, yes. We're Good all, start, Maggie. All, 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 we're all arrived wearing three layers. Um, <laughs> Rory, where can you be found on Twitter? I am on the Twitters at RawsDM. That is at R-O-R-S-D-M. And to the man that brings you all of the WCW TV reviews, much other things, Del Mio. Del, thank you very much. Thanks as always, Bob. It was nice to share the laughter and the tears last month. Something like that. It's generally just tears, so it's nice to uh, <laughs> nice to have something a bit different. Del, you can be found on Twitter. I can indeed. Del underscore Muir. And I'm NW. We're NWO for life. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, two other volumes for this month and one other part. The other half of volume two, WCW, takes us to Road Wild, the pay-per-view, and the Nitro 100 show. You haven't listened to that already. Go back in time a little bit to, 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 to fill in all of that. Volume three takes to ECW, looking at Hardcore Heaven, and volume number one takes us to the WWF, looking at SummerSlam. Anyway, just a reminder, we're on Patreon for five bucks a month. If you'd like to thank us for contributing to your podcasting lives and going through the highs and the lows and the ups and the downs of of wrestling in the mid-90s, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash wrestling20rs. Links to the podcast description and on our website, our website wrestling20rs.com. I am finally getting around to updating it again. It has been a, a couple of months like it is always in July and August, but there we are. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Bambi. You can find the uh, wrestling account from 20 years ago account on Twitter at wrestling20rs. And that'll do that. I have been Bob Bamber. This has been Volume 2, Part 2 of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast for August of 1997. And until next time, goodbye.